0: what are you grateful for? It's a question that we are prompted to consider and to ask ourselves annually as November rolls around. Perhaps your family even has a tradition of of sharing something around the table as you gather, something that you're grateful for before anyone else is allowed to partake in the meal on Thanksgiving. And I think sometimes... These things that we offer up uh, can feel a little bit cliche. This past Monday, uh, my wife Amy and I, we went to our daughter's preschool Happy Land Chapel. Uh, Our daughter's class was going to be presenting that day, and one of the exercises that the teacher had the class do in front of everyone was say one thing that they were grateful for. And so as the teacher went down the line and asked the kids something that they were grateful for, family became the answer and kind of caught on like fire. Family, family, family. And and this person may or may not internally made some sort of sarcastic joke about a lack of originality among these 4-year-olds. <laughs> Until it came to my daughter, who said, Mommy and Luke. (laughs) (laughs) I was sure looking for a little bit of family and would have appreciated a cliched response there. What are you grateful for? I think our scripture this morning may prompt us to be grateful for some things that may just surprise us. Our passage this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians now in the New Testament and the Bibles that you've brought with you from home, your Pew Bibles, or to turn there in your mobile device. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that... With the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In opening this letter, the Ephesians received praise. From Paul. Paul opens here giving thanks for their love for one another and for their faith in Jesus Christ. But what is conspicuously missing in Paul's opening here? Paul mentions faith, Paul mentions love. But what is conspicuously missing? In 1 Corinthians, in the preface to his wedding staple, Treatise on Love, Paul writes, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And in last week, in our passage from 1 Thessalonians, Paul mentions again, all three together, faith, hope, and love. So what is missing today? Hope. Today, the Ephesians receive praise for faith and for love. But not for their hope. Which has led many to wonder if the Ephesians weren't in the midst of some crisis of hope. I recently read that according to a 2022 Gallup poll, this survey found that an all-time low, only 42% of adults, responded that it was very or somewhat likely that today's young people Would have a better living standard than their parents. This is an all time low with regards to optimism for the future, a a drop of 19% in the same survey taken in 2019. Are we in the midst of a crisis of hope? Are you hopeful for the future? What do you hope for? On the other hand, what are you anxious about? What worries you? Because I believe that in, in many ways, worry is the antithesis of hope. It's a concern for a future that is out of our control Worry manifests manifests itself in our inability to let go of certainty about the future. Worry is an inability to simply be present in the moment and to admit that we do not have control over what is bound to happen. In his book, 4,000 Weeks, author Oliver Berkman references Jesus's sermon on the mount and and Jesus preaching against worry you may recall Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow for today has enough troubles of its own Berkman writes Jesus says this as if to ask are your lives so easy that you have to focus on troubles that are not even yet in front of you Perhaps, perhaps being grateful for the moment right in front of us, for the places where God has placed us, even for the challenges that we face, is the beginning of the end of worry that allows us to turn the page to a new hope for the future. Hear that again. Perhaps. Being grateful for the moment right in front of us, even the challenges, is the beginning of the end of worry that allows us to turn the page to a new hope for the future. What might it look like for you to be present in whatever challenge you are facing this morning? Elsewhere in the same book, the author tells the story of a young man named Steve Young, a white Asian studies PhD student, who makes the choice to become a monk in the Shingon branch of Buddhism. And this training begins with a 100-day solo retreat in a small hut without any power and no heat, in the winter, in the snow-covered key mountains of southern Japan. And three times a day, he must participate in a purification ritual that consists of dousing himself with several gallons of melted snow. Recounting the experience, Young says this, he said, it was a horrific ordeal. It's so cold out that the water freezes the moment it touches the floor. Your towel freezes in your hand, and so you're sliding around barefoot on ice trying to dry your body with a frozen hand towel. Can you imagine? And and at first, his strategy in, in dealing with this incredible discomfort was exactly what you or I might Attempt, which was trying not to think about it, to, to distance himself from the experience mentally, to try, through sheer will, to become mentally absent from the excruciatingly excruciating cold. And yet, icy deluge after icy deluge, Jung found that this was precisely the wrong approach. In fact, the more that he was able to concentrate on the cold, the less agonizing the experience became. It was only when his mind wandered during the experience that the agony returned. That's what I said. And so Young began to prepare each day becoming hyper-focused on the present moment so that he would avoid spiraling from mere discomfort into agony. Which, it turned out, was, was, the, was the point of this entire exercise. It was this teaching tool. It was a way that the monks trained themselves to be present, to focus completely on the moment right in front of them instead of allowing their mind to wander to other places, to future worries? What if we could be grateful for the now, right where we find ourselves, that which is right in front of us, both the challenges and the pleasures? What if being present in the now is a key to hope for the future. But the beautiful thing is that as Christians, we don't believe that we are alone in the midst of our challenges, right? I heard it said somewhere, stop and never doubt, Jesus will surely bring you out. So not only do we profess that God is with us, we believe that ultimately God is holding all of this. Paul seeks this line of reasoning with the Ephesians in the midst of their crisis of hope. Paul names it that Christ is king, saying God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You see, friends, we don't submit to our current circumstances in defeat, but rather we do so with the knowledge that Christ is Lord of all. And so, friends, hear this, being present to our current challenges, whatever they are, whatever we're facing, whatever is in front of us, it does not mean resigning to them. It doesn't mean resigning to unhealthy relationships. It doesn't mean submitting to abuse or accepting a certain fate. God gives us choice. God gives us agency. And Jesus will surely get us out. So, how do we hold all of this intention? How do we hold this knowledge that Christ is King, Lord of all, and and be present in the midst of great challenge? In his novel, Jaber Crow. Author Wendell Berry tells the story of a young man who's growing up in a small town in rural Kentucky. Early in life, Jaber feels like he's called to ministry, but ultimately abandons seminary filled with questions. And one of the themes of the story is Jaber wrestling with these questions of faith, seeking to reconcile the brokenness of this world with the notion that Christ is king. And in one particular poignant scene, Jaber reflects thusly, saying for a while again, I couldn't pray. I didn't dare to. In the most secret place of my soul, I wanted to beg the Lord to reveal himself in power. I wanted to tell him that it was time for his coming if there was anything at all to what he had promised then why didn't he come in glory with angels and lay his hands on the hurt children awaken the dead soldiers and restore the burned villages and the blasted and poisoned land Jaber is wrestling with the questions that we wrestle with why isn't God doing something about this He goes on to say, I knew the answer. I knew it a long time before I could admit it. For all of the suffering of the world is in it. He didn't. He hasn't. Because from the moment he did, God would be the absolute tyrant of the world, and we would be his slaves even those who hated God and hated one another and hated their own souls would have to believe him then. And from that moment, from that moment, the possibility that we might be bound to him and he to us and us to one another by love forever would be ended. Hear that again. From that moment, from the moment that God came down, the possibility that we might be bound to him and he to us and us to one another by love forever would be ended. Friends, God asks for our willing participation in this life because love is a choice. God asks for our willing participation in the redemption of the world because love is a choice. God asks for our willing participation in the restoration of our neighborhoods, of our communities, and of our country because love is a choice. This life is, is but a moment by moment opportunity to participate in what God is doing. And God will not make us participate. Because love can't be commanded. It must be chosen. Just as Christ chose to go to the cross, just as Christ chooses you in the midst of whatever it is you're experiencing, this is how Christ has chosen to be king of all. by seeking to be bound up together with us in love that must be chosen. Friends, Christ is King. Today, let us be grateful that we have the distinct opportunity to participate, that we have the opportunity to love God, to love ourselves, and to love one another.